Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. This is George Macharco, host of DC Entrepreneur, here on WERA 96.7 FM. I'm in the studio today with Brett Freeman and Alex Del Sordo. They're the co-founders of Grape Intentions, and they've launched a curated wine subscription that benefits local charities. Thanks for dropping by. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Tell me about the story behind your business. How did you start this? How did you guys meet? How did you decide that you wanted to do something with wine? So we met uh, rowing. Uh-huh. We're both rowers, and we met at Potomac Boat Club down in Georgetown back, gosh, five years ago? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, 2012. Um, we started rowing together on the same team, a men's master's rowing program. We started attending races, and I started tasting Brett's wine selection and mm-hmm. got a chance to see what he was, was really good at. Yeah, I've been in the wine business a long time. So we go to these regattas, and, of course, after we would have our races, you've got to, you know— have some cheese and wine and, you know, get into it. So I became sort of the uh, de facto curator on the team because um, uh, I had been uh, working someplace else where I was also dealing with cheese at the time. So I would show up at this, you know, amazing spread. And um, a couple of years into the friendship, I was doing something in an entrepreneur world. I started my own business outside of Grape Intentions. And Brett came to me and heard my story. And we both looked at each other and said, we have to do something together. You, you have to take what he's really good at and what I'm really good at. And if you merge them, uh, that that's where Grape Intentions sort of started. Um, and yeah. you, could, you can, you know, the original idea yeah, was I mean, much we, different. Yeah, I, I've been in brick and mortar for a while, and I knew that I was over that. I, I was ready to do something completely different. And we had talked about, um, I guess if you go back in time, this would have been, um, I guess, October. 2015. Yeah, October, October, November 2015. And we started kicking around an idea of like an app and an app that could marry like what you can have for dinner with wine. And we were trying to figure out how, okay, well, if you went to the grocery store and we had, you know, labeled certain things, you know, proteins or whatever, uh, uh, at the end of that, a wine would be recommended and somehow we're going to magically get it to you. And we just realized there were too many moving parts here. It was just a little too convoluted. Um, So uh, took the next couple of months to kind of just figure out what would really makes sense. And I realized that when I was in brick and mortar, there was this uh, scenario that just presented itself time and time again. Um, and, you know, as, as the buyer, you have access to tons and tons of wine. And then I would narrow it down. And the scenario I usually give is somebody walks into the store and they say, I'm looking for a Sauvignon Blanc. And I say, well, great. I've got fifth, you know, three here, all $15 a piece. One's from California. One's from New Zealand. One's from France. Talk about why each one is delicious. And at the end, I'd always get the same question. But which one would you go home with? As if the other two are somehow uh, duds. There's something wrong with them. There's only one that can possibly be the winner. So uh, in realizing that people are just, uh, especially with wine, they get overwhelmed. They feel like they're going to you know, pick the wrong uh, item. I said, well, why don't we come up with a, a concept that eliminates all of that? And we do the decision-making process. All the customer has to do, answer some simple questions, and then decide how much they want to spend. So we have three tiers. You know, we give people the option to buy every month or every other month. And that's really where um, the, the idea came from. But it, it was born from just realizing people, you know, they're busy. They don't want to pick bad wine. They just want to drink 
liquid deliciousness. I, I remember the eureka moment. I was driving and you called me and it was cold. It was in the wintertime. You're like, I figured it out. I got it. We're going to be called Grape Intentions, and we're going to do a big delivery service. And I like had to pull over. Like, I, I, this is so overwhelming. And then I remember maybe a month later, I was flying in, in a plane. I was reading a story about wine to water. We knew that we wanted to not just – we wanted to, to, to pay it forward, basically. We wanted to have a, a component where we were, were doing some good in the world, um, and hence the word intentions. Uh, and so we started looking at charities that meant something to us that we thought were doing some really great work. Uh, and so and that story, like I was Alex reading this was, yeah. story about this guy who just was doing some things that I've never heard of before. He was a bartender and he started, and anyway, took his skills and, and married it to somebody else and it really blossomed. But I had this, I read it, I couldn't put it down. I got off the plane, I told him, I know what we need to do. I know how to make it bigger. And we took, again, his idea of, of mail order, shipping wine, and then we married it with this non-profit, the intentions part. part. And um, at that point, it just started to snowball. So talk to me about how you find your charities. How do you know which charities you want to support? How do you partner with them? How does Great Uh, Intentions uh, promote what they do? Yeah, well, we have six right now. Three are national, three are local. Uh, For all, you know, there's a personal connection to us, you know, on some some level. Um, But they also... uh, fit into specific categories, right? So um, obviously we wanted to help out, you know, animals who'd been left out on the street. And so that's the um, Washington Area Humane um, Society. Uh, You know, I come from a military background. Um, By background, I mean I'm (laughs) an Air Force brat. (laughs) I was never in the the military. But um, Semper Fi Fund, you know, comes from that. Um, so each of them has uh, a personal connection to us and, and sort of fits into very specific uh, categories at the same time. We spent, gosh, we spent a month or two listing every single one out that we wanted to connect to uh, and then prioritize, started contacting them, asking for the executive director or asking anybody who would talk to us about our idea. And it boiled down two or three months of consistent phone calls and, and a lot of emails. We narrowed it down to the top six, and we promote them on social media. We attend their events. We provide wine tastings at their events. Uh, We donate every single month to their charity based on how many bottles we ship out and if that person chooses, uh, how many people choose that organization. But I guess it took three or four months. Mm -hmm. A lot of talking, a lot of sitting down, again, a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, six. What what percentage of the proceeds is that, and what is your profit margin after? We do a flat uh, a flat fee, so it's per per box that goes yes. out. We have a, a a flat dollar amount, and and where that money comes from is where we had originally looked at spending the money on on packaging, mm-hmm. and we realized you know that's really not us, uh, and we had to figure out well where's the money going to come from to go to these charities, and we realized okay, so if we're not going to wrap each bottle in tissue paper and you know uh, paint the boxes and you know do all some of these intricate things some of our competitors do, um, there was the money. So it's essentially the money that would have come from packaging that goes. Um, back to to the charities. Did you design with that intention as part of the the concept here? Or was that something that kind of came after you had the first idea of wanting to do an e-commerce play? To answer, I mean, it evolved. Yeah, I mean, originally there was never a charity aspect to it. Yeah, uh, and it was two or three months of discussing and thinking. Well, when we oh God, we spent six or seven months becoming experts in packaging, experts in shipping, and. We asked a lot of people, I mean, dozens, if not hundreds of people, does it really matter to you if this wine comes in a fancy box with tissue paper? And the result was no. People really don't care about that. So when we were working out our profit margins, working out 
actually the business model itself, we found that we had some extra money. Yeah. Uh, and it ranges. Um, a good range is 2 to $4 okay. per shipment per month goes to a charity. And where we make our money really is in the um, the wholesale retail side of the of the wine. So yeah. our, our ability to purchase wine is at a lower price point, and then we sell it at a higher margin. Um, but we are no frills. And are you uh, working directly with distributors or wholesalers, or do you have yeah. like wine shops that you're working with? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, and I think one of the most important things that distinguishes us from uh, anyone else in the marketplace is that we are, in fact, uh, buying directly from the same distributors and wholesalers that restaurateurs and other brick-and-mortar retailers are. Um, that gives us a, an opportunity with a, just a lot of flexibility. We have a, a, as long as it's fitting within you know our pricing structure of the three tiers that we have. Um, you know, we call it somebody in your pocket. It's my job to constantly taste the wine, find out what's going to fit well within each uh, of the tiers, and how people have responded and given us feedback, um, and then we send it out. So we really don't sit on a lot of inventory. You know, we're not associated with a winery. We don't do private label wines. Uh, it's it's really just navigating, you know, what's out there. And then it sounds like you also have wines at different price points, too, for your consumers, right? So they can kind of select where they're at in their range. Yeah. So good, gooder, and goodest mm-hmm. are our three tiers. Okay. Um, and within that, you have an opportunity to decide if you want. You try everything. You're open-minded. I'll, I'll drink Anything you send me, rosé, sparkling, and then some people skew more towards red or red only, or white or you know white only. Um, and so once people kind of give us some some parameters around that and answer the rest of the questions, we put together a box based on that. So people are not giving um, us specifics like I only drink Merlot or I want wine from California. It's my job, as long as the wine tastes great, to make sure it, it finds its way into one of our boxes. And now you have a background as a sommelier, uh, yeah. working in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got my, you know, I guess I got bit by the bug when I was a senior at Virginia Tech. And uh, Virginia Tech has a, a big, you know, it's, a, it's an ag school. And so they do a lot of research for the Virginia wineries uh, down there. So your senior year, you can actually take a class. Um, the lab, obviously, is a tasting component, so you got to be 21. But um, your senior year, you you, um, you qualified to do that. Uh and so that's where I, I really got my interest in wine and then ended up going into um, a culinary school at the CIA up in Hyde Park, uh, where wine is also part of the curriculum. Uh, and so my focus was as a pastry student, you know, to be, become a pastry chef. But I realized after I started working in the industry, what I really wanted to do was, was wine. So made my way outside of uh, the kitchen and into the, the wine uh, world. And then, of course, you know, you take classes with uh, the quartermaster Psalms and, you know, you you're in the, in the wine business a long time. You do a lot of tasting and you do a lot of blind tastings with friends and you uh, get to know the industry really well. Sure. So what is that certification process like once you become a, a master of sommelier? Sure. So I'm not a master psalm. Oh, okay. uh, there, there are uh, several um, tiers you go through. Okay. Um, but there are, there are two uh, when you're going you know, for, for that accreditation. There, there's two major uh, schools. There's the Court of Master Sommeliers. Uh, and then there's WSET, which stands for the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Um, it's more um, academic-based at the WSET, uh, and it's more service-based. So for people who are going to be in the restaurant business uh, on the Quartermaster Psalms. Um, so the biggest distinction there is there's a, a portion of the testing where you actually have to you know open a bottle in front of the instructors and you know present it and yada yada yada. Um, but it's it's a lot about knowing um, the regulations of the different places around the world. 
Um, there's a tasting component where you actually have to do blind tastings and decide on uh, the varietal and uh, vintage and uh, you know, appellation, you know, where it's coming from. Um, and then if you're doing, uh, like I said, the, uh, the court, you're doing a, a service portion of it. So you, you mentioned the regulation side of things, regulatory side of, of the wine industry, and you also mentioned shipping. I'm sure that's probably something that you come into a lot of <laughs> issues with because I know shipping to certain states in the United States is very challenging. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so it, when he had the idea, it was we, we broke it out into two really distinct categories of what we would focus on because you, you can't expect one of us to do it all, right? So uh, my job was to learn about shipping and to learn about the regulations and find our best rates and learn who out there can provide us the best service. And I'm still learning. I mean, you, uh-huh. there's still things that are happening. What I found, though, is that there isn't a lot of data and information on shipping alcohol. I mean, it's fairly new in the United States. Um, some states adopt different rules. Uh, so there's not really like a global sort of enforcement. We use um, we use FedEx. UPS, I would say, doesn't really ship alcohol very well, or even if they don't even offer it. FedEx does a great job. There's a lot of restrictions in that. You have to have specific labels. You have to have people signing off on the wine, uh, on the alcohol that you're, you're, you know, you're shipping or, or getting delivered. If you're 21 years old, yeah. you have to, someone will walk to your door and put it in front of you and ask you to sign and have proof of ID, have proof of you being 21 or older. We have a lot of things on our website that you'll see that checks and balances to make sure that we can ship it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a delivery component that's really important. And God, we spent a lot of sleepless nights reading this unbelievable content. Like, I mean, content on this is, is unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we were, I guess we're still learning and some states are adopting different laws as, as the years goes on. Yeah. There are some states that we just can't ship to. Um, they just have blue laws on the books. I yeah, Utah it. is a great example. Yeah. You know, Utah is just it's just not going to happen. But uh, you know, one thing about being um, in the district, as we're not a state, um, the the reciprocity mm-hmm. um, for the district is a little bit different than it is for for some of the other actual states themselves. Because you're shipping from the district, correct? Oh, wow. yeah, and that's okay. actually another reason why we're so different from other companies that do what we do. Um, we have the ability to source wines all over the world, so we can get any kind of wine out there, and we could ship it pretty much anywhere that allows states to accept wine. We spent um, a lot of days and nights talking about moving our company to a different state, Maryland, Virginia, because uh, there are some financial restrictions being in D.C. It's pretty expensive to have space here. So we were trying to see what we can utilize outside the district. But we found when we were getting our license and working with shipping companies that this was absolutely the best place to be uh, around. So that's why we're here in D.C. That's fascinating. So uh, I never would have thought that D.C. would be easier to ship from necessarily yep. than other places. Yeah, um, And easier to get a license, too. Oh, is to it? Ship. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we have an alcohol license, and um, that's a whole different story, getting that. That <laughs> took us so long. It's it's interesting in D.C. because I, I, I'll see bartenders go to the Costco and load up <laughs> on their alcohol there and actually use that for their bars because it's much easier for them to purchase from like a wholesaler or something in the district. Is yeah. that is that true for the wine industry as well? Yeah, spirits definitely uh, is is a interesting beast. Um, the wine business, uh, you know, there's DC has more consumption per capita of wine in the country than any other place, and so as a result, uh, you have just a ton of people who get into the wholesale 
distribution import side of the business. Um, the, the district also just makes it very easy to get into that business. Uh, so as a result, um, there's just a lot out there. Uh, so I would not call it difficult uh, on the wine side at all. Uh, if, if there's any difficulty, it's deciding who you want to work with and who you don't want to work with. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about um, – you know, the concept here, because I think what's interesting is you mentioned that there's kind of a tech component here, which is this algorithm behind the palette picker. Can you explain what the palette picker is and what that algorithm is behind the scenes that's making it work? So the eight questions that we ask in the beginning is just to get the ball rolling. Um, everybody has to have a way to engage people from the start. Uh, I've found that most people who aren't in the wine business, which is the vast majority of people, um, kind of shut down when they're asked to identify the adjectives, you know, that describe wine. You know, do you like lime or do you like grapefruit? Do you like tobacco? Do you like tar? You know, people, when you're talking about their wine, that's kind of, you know, over their head a little bit. Or they just don't want to have to think about it. So uh, our eight questions people can immediately identify with, and they're, they're food-based, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and behind that, we're getting information because the different food options that we provided – deal with things with acid level or salinity or sweetness or uh, seafood or vegetable. You know, these kind of markers uh, that help when you're trying to pair up uh, a wine with someone. So um, people answer the questions and we send out an initial box. At that point, we ask people to log back into their account once they've tried their wine and rate it. So, you know, we call it Pandora style, if you will. We're not doing thumb up, thumb down. We're doing a five-star system. Um, and so for us, in that particular realm, outliers are, you know, kind of what they are. Uh, if we're getting all fives, great. Um, people who don't rate, they kind of fall into the, I guess, no news is good news. Uh, but when we start to see people rate wines on the lower end of the spectrum, we start to take a look at, okay, uh, this is the feedback that actually we're looking for. And when you take a look at uh, the body of a wine, the style, you know, it has some markers. And so if people answer, you know, say we sent you that Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, right? High acid, you know, a lot of minerality there, some citrus, you know, components to it um, as their white wine. And they gave that a one star. We're like, hmm, okay, well, maybe we'll try and give them uh, some big oaky Chardonnay and let's see what we get there. Uh, and so we send that and if somebody rates that a four, we're like, okay, we're kind of getting some measurements here as to, okay, this person tends to prefer, at least in this particular example, uh, a white that has a bit more body to it. So it sounds like what you're doing is trying to create a positive user experience for the consumer where they don't have to get overwhelmed by a lot of the questions that they have when it comes to picking out wine. Yeah, actually, uh, we, we find, uh, we do a lot of tastings and people see these questions and they have a blast answering them. I mean, they, they, they're really engaged. With and so basically by going through this process, what you're doing is you're creating kind of a feedback loop from your consumers. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, those eight questions are, are just to get the ball rolling. So there's more questions after that? Uh, well, the rating system comes after that. Okay. And you can, and we have found that people will take their quiz over. Okay. Um, so... You, you are always able to, like, log it back into your account and, and retake those questions. And then what happens if you have somebody that wants to find, like, the perfect wine to pair with the food that they're preparing? Do you have something in, in the algorithm that prepares for that? So pairing, uh, when we send out the wines, we talk about, um, we, we send something called the passport with our wines. And that's a, a description of each wine, where it comes from, varietals, uh, and a food pairing. 
um, whether it's um, like something maybe historical because of where the wine comes from or just because this wine is built to go with a particular cuisine. As far as somebody saying, oh, I'm going to be making lasagna next Friday. Can you send me a wine for that? That's not really the way the business is, is set up at this time. Um, 2018, we're going to be uh, launching the um, ability to buy, like as a shopping cart, um, our wines. Uh, so you'd be able to, to to search for something that would work at that point. So they would they would select certain varietals. I guess what we have in our inventory that month, people will be able to go in, see the description, see what it pairs well with based on our passport, mm-hmm. and buy some of that wine. So they w- we wouldn't be the sommelier for them that moment, yeah. but they can go on our website and and just read, okay, I'm cooking lasagna, and read the descriptions and be able to buy that wine that we have available that month. How do you both go about picking wines? What What's kind of your process whenever it comes to uh, when you I, select a wine? Let me, let me stop you right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, too much when, to talk about, right? No, no, no. no actually, no. Because I'm going to direct it right to him. Yeah. Um, when we started, I was not the wine guy by any means. I just, I would always listen to him and just tell me, what should I drink this weekend or what should I drink tonight? Uh, I, I was around it my whole life. I grew up in an Italian family. So he is the only wine buyer. He is the one choosing the wines. Um, when you say we, it's it's a... It's collective It's way. a him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, in the business, there are just a number of ways you do. You sit down with your rep and you say, okay, this is what I'm looking for, you know, this month because it's, you know, December. And so you're thinking, okay, things are getting cooler. You're going to want to have some things that are available for, uh, you know, gifts, uh, nicer, um, higher-end things because that's the way people uh, tend to buy during the holidays. But um, sitting down with your rep, exposure to um, wines that they'll bring in that you've asked for. There are these uh, portfolio shows that a lot of uh, wholesalers will uh, offer sometimes in the spring, sometimes in the fall, uh, which can be pretty overwhelming. I mean, you can walk into some of the larger distributors uh, and you'll have, you know, 500 wines, uh, if That's not a more. Lot. Yeah, so you have to have a game plan. Yeah. You know? There's no palate fatigue. Uh, even if you're spitting, you're going to get a little tipsy after a while. Um, and it's just, it's a lot, right? Uh, but those portfolio shows are, are um, really valuable. And then, of course, just going out. I mean, I recently was uh, uh, at a restaurant, had a bottle of red, and I was like, that is delicious, and it's now on my radar. Um, so, of course, and you're like, oh, who's the – ask the restaurant, who's the, the distributor? And I'm very happy to say we work with them, <laughs> so it'll be easy to track down. Yeah, he makes it sound so easy. It is, and I, I got to be at a tasting with him one time, and he is – I'm trying to – compare him to a professor. He is constantly writing. He has notebooks of this stuff. He has countless hours studying the wines. And, you know, I'm frequently at his uh, at his house in D.C. And he has like a wall of books that he has that will, I mean, that he references uh, all the time. So, yes, he does do these delicious tastings. He goes, he travels the world, quite literally travels the world. He was in Spain this year and uh, you were Champagne, uh, Champagne California. California. Yeah, I mean, he travels the world for this stuff, but uh, it's not just sitting there drinking wine and having a good time. He spends a lot of his energy being educated and learning and writing so that he can reference things, you know, months later. Exactly why is wine so inaccessible to some people? Why is it so challenging to pick something up? I can tell you it's scary. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a funny word to use, scary. But you walk into Whole Foods, you walk into Harris Teeter, you walk into a wine store, and you'll see a 1,000 bottles, maybe 10,000 bottles. Yeah, right. like at a total wine or something. A total yeah. wine, yeah. yeah, yeah like sure. you walk in, you really – and you think to yourself, like if I'm going to see my parents or if I'm going to go see my loved ones, I want to bring a bottle that they'll remember. 
right? Or like that, well, it'll be delicious. You have no idea where to start. You really don't. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You go in there and it's like they've got the Parker rating system. Right. You've got like the ones that are prominent facing on the shelves or the end caps. Yeah, and they'll tell you, okay, this is this is French wine. Yeah. This is Spanish wine. This is you know this is Pacific Northwest. That doesn't mean anything to me, right? I I I don't understand it. So we always joke that people buy bottles with dogs on them or animals on them, and they tend to be duds. They tend to be not great wines. Uh, you also don't know how much you want to spend or what is right spending. And that's where Brett comes in. Um, Brett cuts through all that stuff. And, I mean, knock on wood, I have not had a bad <laughs> bottle of wine since being in this business or, or knowing Brett. Everyone is memorable to me. Uh, and there's an education part to it. Brett has taught me a lot about wines. But it's it's intimidating to stand in front of a wall of 10,000 bottles of wine it's interesting. That's a great word. Why is it inaccessible? You know, people have very clear-cut decisions, uh, opinions, uh, can make very clear decisions when it comes to choosing beer in this country. When it comes to beer, people know, oh, you know, I like a Hefeweizen or I like a lager. I mean, I like X, Y, and Z. It's a, first of all, there are a lot more places in the world just producing wine, right? Yeah. So um, just what's presented to you just in terms of scale is intimidating. Um, but when you start to take a look at labels that maybe come from a place like historically German labels, wine labels can be intimidating, especially when you add their traditional font and all those consonants and you have absolutely no idea what it is that label is trying to communicate to you. Um, that, that is a barrier. Um, and so, do people have the time and the wherewithal to actually stop? And, you know, at least this day and age, we have smartphones. You can Google some of that stuff. Um, but historically, that's not the case. So I would say, you know, it, it's um, the vast amount of wine that's out there. Um, some of the ways that it's communicated by the wineries can be intimidating. Um, yeah, full stop. Anything else you'd like to add? I don't, you know, I just say, listeners, check out grapeintentions.com. I mean, see our story. You'll see it. You'll learn a little bit more about who we are and what we do on the website. Um, see, and, and it, it's it's such a low price point entry that there's really, to me, there's no harm in trying uh, our wines. And I think that if you try, you'll love it. And I know you will. <laughs> All right. Brett, Alex, thanks so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank, thank you very, you very much. much. Appreciate it. We'll catch you next time here on DC Entrepreneur.